I don't know if you had noticed that I've been uh, absent for a short time. We were, we made a trip to the, uh, to the Caribbean, and uh, I, we're having a little trouble getting adjusted. Our first day there, we checked the temperature back here. It was plus 23 there, and back here it was minus 23, a difference of 46 degrees. Celsius, and we're inclined to think maybe that Eastern Canada is the only place in the world where it gets really cold. But you know, down there in the Caribbean, I was looking at a map of South America, and in Argentina, you think of Argentina as being a warm country, but they border on Chile. <laughs> I thought that would work better than that. You ever sit down in a church and think, my, it's, it's cold here? Well, I've discovered there's a reason for that. It's because when God closes the door, he opens a window. <laughs> Did you miss me while I was gone? <laughs> you haven't heard choke jokes that bad while I was gone, I bet. I'm sure you didn't. I'd like to make a further announcement, and I'm asking you to join me and the pastoral staff and the church board that I'm speaking for just now in 21 days of prayer and fasting. And that's going to begin three weeks from today. Now we'll give you more particulars as the time comes, but that's beginning three weeks from today, March the 22nd. And those 21 days will extend through the Saturday just before Easter Sunday. And we'll give you some hints and clues and suggestions of how and what you might fast, things you might pray for. But I'm requesting you this morning to begin thinking about that. And please do plan to join us in placing the emphasis on prayer and fasting for those 21 days. And day three of that prayer and fast, there's going to be a night of worship right here on a Tuesday night. How about making that part of your prayer and fasting, the whole thing during that time. I hope that you will join us. I want to speak to you this morning about facing life's storms. Let's speak to the Father before we go to the Word. Father, would you open our hearts and minds now to hear a word from you? Not one more sermon from one more pastor but, Father, a message from your heart to ours. And may we be in the mode of, of not just hearing and listening, but absorbing and letting the truth sink deep in us and changing us, changing the way we think and the way we speak and the way we act, because your word is powerful than a double-edged sword. And life transformation is possible because of what you do in us. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you have read after Pastor Max Lucado much or not. But if you have, you have to admit that he has a wonderful way with words. He writes these words. In an elementary school, to keep us occupied, the teacher would pass out drawings with a question at the bottom. What's wrong with these pictures? Remember them? 
We'd look closely for something that didn't fit in that picture. A farmyard scene with a piano near a water trough. A classroom with a pirate seated in the back row. An astronaut on the moon with a payphone in the background. And he says, we'd, we'd ponder the picture and point to the piano or, or to the pirate or to the payphone and we'd say things like, this doesn't fit. Something's out of place. Something is absurd. Pianos don't belong in farmyards and pirates in classrooms, that doesn't fit. And payphones are not found on the moon. And God doesn't chum with common folk or snooze in fishing boats. But according to Luke, he did. So come with me now for a few minutes to Luke chapter 8, verses 22. It's just a short scripture, but we'll do it like we usually do. We'll do it together. And this morning, I'll be even and you be odd. Here we go. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. So Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves. The storm stopped and all was calm. Now I want you to hear Lucado's play-by-play of that same scene. And then there was the storm, the tie yourself to the mast and kiss your boat goodbye storm. Ten-foot waves yanked the disciples first forward and then backward, leaving the boat ankle-deep in water. Matthew's face blanched to the color of chalk. Thomas death-gripped the stern. Peter suggested they pray the Lord's Prayer. Better still, that the Lord lead them in the Lord's prayer. And that's when they heard the Lord snoring. Jesus was fast asleep, back against the bow, head drooped forward, chin flopping on his chest as the hull bounced on waves. Jesus, Peter shouted. The carpenter woke up, looked up. He wiped the rain from his eyes, puffed both cheeks with a sigh and stood. He raised first his hand and then his voice and as fast as you could say glassy, the water became just that. Jesus smiled and sat and Peter stared and wondered, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, the Sea of Galilee is, is famous for its sudden and violent squalls. And the reason is this. The Sea of Galilee, where Jesus and his disciples were crossing on the boat, is more than 600 feet down here below sea level. And the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by what you'd call tablelands, a lot higher land next to the, to the lake, tablelands. And then in the distance, you have these mountains and over the, over the centuries rivers have cut 
deep ravines in the tablelands leading from the mountains to Lake Galilee. And it sort of acts like a funnel. So the winds from the cold winds from the mountain, cold air sinks, of course, rush down from the mountain through the ravines and down. Do I look like the TV weatherman standing up here this morning? Do I look like Kalen Mitchell or I guess Cindy Day is no more, but anyway. Those storms were uh, sudden and they were very common in the first century. And you know what? They're still just as common today in the 21st century. Now I want to talk to you for a few minutes about facing life storms. But I don't want to talk to you about literal winds and waves. But I want to talk to you this morning about storms that are just as real just as unexpected, just as sudden, just as violent, and just as dangerous. Now, I'm not speaking to you this morning about life storms that are self-inflicted. That's not what I want to talk to you about. I, I love books of quotes. In my library, I have, I don't know how many books of quotes. I just like reading quotes of what people said about this or that. And I found this quote in one of those books. If you could kick the person responsible for most of your troubles in the backside, you wouldn't be able to sit down for two weeks. Now that may be true. That's simply making the point that a lot of the troubles that we endure in our life is our, is our own doing. But I want to talk to you this morning about some of the storms of life that you didn't cause. I'm talking about storms of misfortune, storms of accident, storms of illness, storms of bereavement, loss of loved ones. I'm talking about uh, job loss. I'm talking about turmoil in your family. I'm talking to you about marital discord. Such times as I'm speaking about this morning, they cause us heartache and sometimes they cause us heartbreak. And this short story that we just read together has four, four key truths that we need to apply as we face life's storms. So there are four of them, and here's number one. Here's the first key truth that you must get a grip on if you're going to effectively face life's storms that come your way. Here's the first one. Make sure Jesus is in your boat. Make sure Jesus is in your boat. And I take you back to verse 22. It says, we just read it. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And then it says, so they, who's the they? That's Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and started out. Now you all understand my boat metaphor thing here this morning. I think you do, don't you? Make sure Jesus is in your boat. I'm saying to you, make sure that you're traveling with Jesus. Make absolutely certain that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Make absolutely certain that your trust, your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, and that you're following Him. I'm talking to you when I say Jesus is in your boat. I'm talking to you about something Something beyond being religious. I'm talking about knowing Him. I'm talking to you this morning about loving Him. Now this same story that we just read together 
in the book of Luke is also told in one of the other gospels, the book of Mark. Only Mark adds a detail or two that, to me, it's interesting. In Mark's account of this Jesus calming the storm story, it says they started out across the lake, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Luke leaves out that little nugget of truth there. You see that? Some, some people got in other boats, not the boat Jesus was in, and, and followed behind at a distance. And as I read that, here's what I thought. What happened to them? I, I wonder what happened to them. Jesus was not in their boat. Were some of those other boats, were they swamped by the storm? We don't know. That detail is not included in the scripture. Were some that followed in the other boat, not the boat Jesus was in, were they lost at sea? Don't know the answer to that, but here's what I do know. The disciples were glad Jesus was in their boat. I'm asking you this morning, is Jesus in your boat? Is he your present help in time of trouble? Is Jesus Christ, do you know him? Do, do you love him? Would you call yourself this morning a committed follower of Jesus Christ? Is he your present help in time of trouble? Years ago, pastoring in a small town, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, I often had occasion to go to the funeral home to visit folks who are not necessarily part of my church, small town, you know a lot of people. I was there 21 years altogether. And one evening I had occasion to go to the funeral home to visit two different families on the same evening. And both of these families had lost an elderly mother. Family number one, the first family I visited, were not, were not known to be a family of faith. And as far as I knew, had little or no connection to any local family of faith. Church, I'm talking here. And as I entered the room for family number one, the atmosphere was somber, of course. Gloom and doom permeated the entire room. As I, as I went in the room, there were no smiles, no expressions of hope. No, and I did my best to, to express my condolences and to bring whatever comfort I could give. And then I proceeded down the corridor and around a corner to visit family number two. What a stark contrast between the two families. It was amazing. As I approached family number two, it was obvious to me that they were a family of faith. I was greeted with smiles and the atmosphere was appropriately somber, but there was no gloom or doom in the room. There, as memories of mother were related to me, laughter, laughter echoed through the room of this, uh, through the room of this funeral home. And I found myself wondering what family number one around the corner and down the corner might have thought of laughter going on in this funeral home. Over and over again with family number two, there were expressions of hope. They spoke, they spoke of seeing mother again one day. Words like that were spoken over and over again. So here's my question. You know the answer. What was the difference between these what was the difference between these two families? Just this, family number two had Jesus in their boat. 
I ask you this morning, is he in your boat? Is your hand in his? PEI native Jean McClellan wrote a song 45 years ago, and a young lady from Spring Hill, Nova Scotia, whose name you know, made that song a number one hit back in the 1970s. Remember the song? Put your hand in the hand is still a familiar tune to many of you, even you younger ones. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Here's what I know about holding hands. My wife's sitting right here, and I can't, I can't hold her hand. Why is that? Because she's too far away from me. Here's what I know about holding hands. You're going to hold someone's hand, you've got to get up close. And you need to get up close to Jesus to put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Here's my message to you this morning. Don't follow Jesus at a distance. Don't linger on, on the fringe of the crowd. Make sure Jesus is in your boat. And the most vital truth that I can share with you this morning about facing life's storms, and you will if you haven't, and some of you are facing them now, the most vital truth I can share with you this morning is simply this. Make sure your hand is in his. Make sure Jesus is in your boat. Now, here's number two. There are four. Here's two. You need to remember this truth. There is no ultimate danger when you're traveling with Jesus. Do you hear that? It's on the screen in front of you, but hear it again. There is no ultimate danger when you're traveling with Jesus. And I take you back to verse 23. On the way across... Jesus lay down for a nap. Uh, that kind of struck me. He lays down for a nap. He knows that a storm is coming, and yet he lays down for a nap. Such was his trust in the Father. And then the verse goes on and says, And while he was sleeping, the wind began to rise, and a fierce storm developed that threatened to swamp them. And the next phrase says this. See it there? And they were in, what's the next word? Real danger. Now that is Luke, who authored this book. That's his observation, that they were in real danger. That's his observation. But my question for you is, do you think they were? Do you think those disciples in Jesus' boat, there was any real danger that they were facing? I'm suggesting to you this this morning. No, there was no danger for those disciples. No ultimate danger with Jesus in their boat. And that's obvious from Jesus' comment to them after he calmed the sea. Because after he calmed the sea, he looks at his disciples and says, where's your faith? In other words, he's saying to them, don't you guys realize that when you're with me, there's no ultimate danger that can come your way? What Jesus is really saying to them is this, don't you trust me, guys? Don't you trust me? A little boy was walking down the beach, and as he did, he spied an older lady who was reading a Bible under her umbrella, sitting there in a lawn chair on the beach. And he said, lady, are you a Christian? Yes, she said. He said, do you read that Bible every day? She said, yes, I do. Then the kid said, do you pray often? And she said, yes, I do. And with that, he asked his final question. Will you hold my toonie while I go in for a swim? <laughs> you see, the boy decided that this was a lady that, in whom he could put his trust. 
But in this story, we discover here that these disciples hadn't quite decided whether they could really trust Jesus or not. Hadn't made up their mind. Let me ask you this morning, where are you on the trust thing? Do you really trust him? I mean, do you really trust him? Do you trust this Jesus you're following? Hear this. Trust Jesus now with your tunie, and it'll be a lot easier, a lot easier to trust him with your life when the storm comes. And if you're not facing a storm today, sorry to tell you this, but you will. They're coming. I sat on the Atlantic District Board of Administration for the Wesleyan Church when Dr. H.C. Wilson, he's a native cross-pointer too, and uh, before I leave as your pastor, I'm going to get him here one Sunday to preach to you on a Sunday. He's one of the premier preachers in all the Wesleyan Church. He was district superintendent from 1996 to 2007, and at a board meeting on one occasion, he asked, he assigned me to a to a task that required me to travel, visit a local church, and act and speak on his behalf because he couldn't be there. And I said, yes, I'll do it. Well, uh, the board, that particular board, they like to make inside jokes and, and, you know, those kind of things. And one of the board members speaks up, addressing the DS, H.C. Wilson, says, uh, uh, Dr. Wilson, do you think you can trust John to do this? And a ha-ha, big joke in the room. But there was no jest in H.C. Wilson's reply. He looked directly at me, and here's what he said. I would trust this man with my life and with my wife. <laughs> Hello for the laughter disappearing from the room. And it, it, it was a... It sounds like a simple thing to you maybe, but I don't know if I ever felt so affirmed by a peer before or since in my life. I found myself sitting there hoping and praying that I was deserving of a trust that deep. And I asked myself this this morning in front of you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, do I, as your pastor, as a fellow pilgrim with you, a fellow believer with you, do I trust him with my life and with my wife and everything else, even in strife? Do I? Do you? Maybe you're thinking this. Well, Pastor John, do you really believe that, the, that if... Do you really believe, Pastor John, that if you follow Jesus, there's no ultimate bad thing that can ever happen to you? I absolutely believe that. Absolutely believe it. Paul the Apostle wrote the short New Testament book of Philippians. It's a letter of encouragement to the church at Philippi and to the church at Crosspoint. He wrote it from a prison cell thinking that I'm just days from the guillotine. He had to be thinking, this is it. And after making a statement expressing complete trust and his total confidence and commitment to Jesus Christ, here's what he wrote. In prison, facing death, for me, living is Christ and dying is even better. What's the point he's making? There's no ultimate danger. There's no ultimate thing that can come your way. 
No ultimate happenstance that can happen in your life. No ultimate danger when you're traveling with Jesus. I thought it interesting this morning. I didn't even consult with Stephen this morning. But he read part of this scripture. Paul writing to the church in Rome says, Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? It's a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question means it doesn't need an answer. so obvious. And then he writes, nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, or even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. And then he concludes with these words. Listen to this conclusion. This is the part that Stephen read to us. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Put a different way, same as what I'm saying to you, there's no ultimate danger when you're traveling with Jesus. But I said there are four key truths, and here's the third. Third key truth that you need to get a grip on if you're going to effectively face the storms of life. Number three, storms can and should make you a better person. They should. They can. Depends on you. The disciples woke him up shouting, Master, we're going to drown. So Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves and the storm stopped and he asked them, where's your faith? And then they were filled with, notice this, they were filled with awe and amazement. And they said to one another, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? They were filled with awe and amazement. Here's my interpretation of that, and I think I'm right on. At that moment, their faith spiked. They went from faith, small f, to faith, capital F. Their courage, their trust level in Jesus, in an instant, their character was strengthened. Uh, in, in an instant, their backbone was firmed up, and they became better men because of this storm. Why? Because storms build character well it's a good thing don't you think because 11 of those 12 guys in the boat were going to face storms all 11 of the 12 died a martyr's death storms should do that for all of us they can and should and it's the father's intent that storms make you and me a better person some of you have committed Romans 8:28 to memory let me just Read it to you. And we know that some things work together for good for those that love the Lord. Did I quote that right? Oh, no, no, I didn't know. It doesn't say some things. It says, and we know that most things work together for, did I quote that right that time? Oh, I didn't get it right again? Let me give it one more shot. It says, and we know that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love him. There you have it. Somerset Mom, the English writer, once wrote a story about a janitor at St. Peter's Church in Neville Square, London. One day, the young priest discovered that the janitor at the church couldn't read or write, so he fired him. Jobless now, the ex-janitor took his meager savings and invested them in a small retail store. The shop prospered, so he opened the second store, and then another. And in a few years, he had a chain of highly successful stores. 
One day he's in visiting his banker and his banker makes this observation. Well, you've, you've done well, but just think where you might be if you could read and write. He said, if I could read and write, I'd be the janitor of St. Peter's Church in Neville Square. <laughs> and I say, you're going to make a point coming out of that story? Here it is. I'm not standing here as your pastor this morning promising financial success. I know some of you, you can get online or you can get on the tube and you can find guys that say God's plan is for you. His plan for you is financial success, wealth, and good health. Well, they're wrong. And I'm standing here not saying, I'm not promising you. And the book doesn't promise you. If you live for Jesus Christ, you'll have financial success and you'll be wealthy and you'll be healthy and you'll be exempt from life's storms. Can't promise you that, I'm sorry, but I'm promising you something far better. You say, Pastor John, what could be better? Here it is. In the storms of life that you will inevitably face, God who made you in your mother's womb will use the troubles and trials that you face as a potter's wheel to shape you into a better person. That's his plan. Do you believe it? Some of you are nodding at me. And some of you, again, are just nodding. <laughs> you know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, the favorite son of biblical patriarch Jacob? We usually speak of the kid as if he's a great hero, but he was, a, he was not a nice kid, teenager. He was proud, boastful, arrogant, and he was a bragger. And he bragged to his siblings. He had seven or eight or nine older brothers, one younger. But he would brag to his older brothers how he was his dad's favorite. You can imagine how popular that made him with his older brothers. Dad loves me more than you. And you know the story, or if you don't, here's how it goes. His jealous brothers got so angry they sold him into slavery. Hear this. But the iron chains around his ankles made possible the Pharaoh's own golden chain of authority around his neck. Don't you see? Joseph's terrible life storm made him a humble, benevolent, generous man and savior of the starving nation of Israel. And here's the point. Storms can make you a better person. A lot of veteran Christians in this room. Think back, you veterans, in your own life. Wasn't it the storms? Come on, wasn't it, wasn't it the storms, the difficulties, the, the setbacks, and even the tragedies that made you a better person? This is in my, one of my quote books, too. I don't even know who said it. The trials of faith are like God's ironing board. When the heat of trials are applied to our lives, the wrinkles of spiritual immaturity begin to be smoothed out. That's a great truth. Storms should and will make you a better person. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. But I have one more vital truth for you this morning, and here it is. Number four, you must let Jesus Christ be Lord of all. If you're going to successfully face life storms. Back to verse 25. After Jesus asked them, where is your faith? 
It says they were filled with awe and amazement. And they said to one another, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now get the picture here. Are the disciples in the boat at this point? Uh Uh-huh. Yes, they are. Were they followers of Jesus? Well, absolutely. Did they call him Lord? They most certainly did. They accepted him as Lord. They'd been traveling with him now for several months. They knew he was Lord of sickness, disease, and evil spirits. And they saw all that the Lord did, the miracles. They were with him when he turned the water into wine, miracle number one. They were with him when he fed a crowd of of 5,000 from a kid's lunch. Listen to me. They limited Jesus as to what he was Lord of. They said, after Jesus calmed the storm, it's their words, who is this man, they said, that even... See what that word even means? The word, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? They're saying, you mean this Jesus is Lord of storms too? They're saying, is he Lord of everything? The disciples are saying, must... Jesus be the Lord of every area of my life? And the answer for them and the answer for you is yes, yes, yes. You may say, Pastor John, how long have you and Willow Ann been married? It'll be 52 years next month. And maybe you would say to me, well, Pastor John, you must be deeply committed to your wife. You must be a loyal, faithful husband. And what if I responded and said to you, well, I guess I could say to you, I'm, I'm 80 to 85% committed to her. You impressed with that? I know you ladies aren't. I say, what, what nonsense to say a thing like that. And you know why that makes no sense. Because commitment, loyalty, faithfulness cannot be 85%. It cannot be part-time. What about you? You all in to this following Jesus thing? Are you all in? On the tombstone of an old cavalier soldier who lost his life in battle for king and country. These are the words on his tombstone. He served King Charles with a constant, dangerous, and expensive loyalty. And I believe there are many people today, many believers even today, you're, you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes. You're in the boat? Absolutely. But you've not really settled. There's some people in this room you've not really settled the, is Jesus Lord of everything in my life? Your service to the King is not constant and dangerous, nor is it expensive. There are areas of your life where there's hesitation. Maybe it's your leisure time, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your career, your life decisions, your family. I need to tell you moving forward, Cross Point will always be my church because it's my home church. I won't always be your pastor. But Cross Point, I believe, has a tremendous future just out ahead of it. And I believe it involves building a church to make this a city impact church with a location on Cliff Street. And if this church is going to make a bold move into the future, We need church, we need Christ followers who serve Christ with a constant and a dangerous and an expensive loyalty. And my question for you this morning is, are you one of them? Can you say you're one of them? Can you stand and say, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life? Is he Lord? Is he Lord of all? Would you stand with me? It's an old chorus. You know the words, perhaps. 
Let's sing it together. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It was new to some of you, now it's not. Sing it with me. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just before the band comes back and we're going to sing a worship song as we close the service maybe you're here this morning and you would say Pastor John I don't believe that I've ever made that firm decision to get in the boat and by that I'm saying I've never made a firm decision that Lord Jesus I'm a sinner I'm sorry for my sins please forgive me for my sins I believe you died on the cross for me Please come into my life. I'm getting into your boat today. I'm going to live and serve you all the days of my life. Father, there are others of you here today. I believe that right now you're dealing with the Lordship issue. And if I were one-on-one with you, there would be those of you in this room that would say, I can't really say I'm an out-and-out committed follower of Jesus Christ there are areas of my life where he really isn't Lord that could change this very day saying Jesus Christ I want you to be Lord of all of my life my finances my leisure time my hopes my dreams my plans my wishes my family all there is of me I want you to have it all your decision this day in Jesus name we pray